All right, well, today is full of special things, because um, something else we get to celebrate today is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day morning. Men, you missed your chance. Happy Mother's Day morning. In any profession, whatsoever, any profession, the longer you work somewhere, the more you get promotions, recognition, acknowledgement. Um, the longer you work, you, you get more paid vacation, more time off. Um, you know, you get breaks throughout the day, right? You get lunch breaks. There comes a time in the day where you're able to put down the phone, close the computer, put down the tools, go home. In any profession, you can expect that. As a mom, you can expect none of that. None of that. Um, you selfish, selflessly, not selfishly, selflessly give yourself. You sacrifice. Um, I think of even this morning, on Mother's Day night or Eve, our kid got sick. And who's on call? It's mom. It's mom on call. Some of you are here and you're stay-at-home moms with your kiddos. Some of you are here and you, you wear two hats. You work. Some of you are here, you have little kiddos, some fully grown children, you know. Um, some of you here have biological, adopted, fostered, whoever you are, wherever you are. As a church, we just want to thank you. If you're a mom this morning, would you stand up for a second? We just want to honor you. Can we give our mothers a hand? Amen. Thank you. We have a gift for you um, as you leave. So I'll remind you at the end. But as you leave, we have some flowers we'd like to just give you as our way of just saying thank you for being an awesome mom. Okay? So make sure to grab that uh, before you leave. Uh, have you ever had a pair of sunglasses? I know this is a switch topic, but here we go. I've got a lot going on this morning. There's no time to waste. Um, have you ever had a pair of sunglasses that were yellow? Those yellowed ones that you put on and the whole world looks golden and it takes you a little bit of time to get you. Some of you like those. I don't really, but they make everything brown, right? And um, what happens when you wear them for long enough? You get used to them. All of a sudden, things start to look normal. Uh, although they're golden, they look normal. Your eyes start to get adjusted to it. And before long, it just becomes normal. You forget you're wearing them. Well, what we're talking about today is a little bit like those glasses. A little bit like those glasses because I believe our culture has given us a set of yellow sunglasses. And we've been wearing them. And it looks normal. But the moment you take them off, what happens when you take off those little yellow sunglasses? You're, whoa, the, the world looks differently. The colors are different. You see true colors, not colors through golden tint. Um, I think that it is a little bit similar to what we're going to be talking about today because I believe our world has given us some yellow sunglasses that color the way we view people that color the way we view and vision people. And as we take off the sunglasses, my hope, my prayer for us this morning is that our eyes begin to adjust. That our eyes begin to adjust to the people that we see around us every day. And so here's the question for us. I'm gonna put this on the screen for us. Do you see people through the world's lenses or do you see people through the clarity of the gospel? 
That is the question that we are going to wrestle with this morning. We're going to ask ourselves that question often. And I want you to begin to kind of ask yourself that question as we journey through this text this morning. So let me read for us our text again in James. This has been a fun series. And by fun, I mean challenging. Seems like every week God reveals something in my life. And he's going to continue today. Uh, James 2 says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich, the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court, Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Um, Right off the bat, I hope you'll agree with me, the gospel message is cross-cultural. Cross-cultural meaning for for all cultures, for all people groups, uh, that it is cross-cultural for all people, all races, all ages. Amen? Are we there? Our message is cross-cultural. Cultural. For example, um, we've seen this, it's been in our culture, it's been in the news often, the issue of racism. The issue of racism. We see the effects that, that racism has and that, um, that it's wrecked our country. We see it in the news. We see what, what race, racial tension and prejudice has resulted in. And this is our world, but I believe as a church, we're starting to see something through this. That we can engage in that and say, no, our message unites black, white, Hispanic, Asian. It unites cultural because our message is cross-cultural. In the same way, what we're going to talk about this morning does something very similar. But I believe that what we're going to talk about this morning is not often talked about in our churches. So it might get a little uncomfortable. No, I'm joking. It, it will pull our attention, though, Um, to something that maybe we haven't considered. And here's the point. The gospel not only brings down the walls of racism in Christ, but the gospel also unites both rich and poor. In other words, the gospel crumbles the walls of socioeconomic division in Christ. That the gospel crumbles the walls of socioeconomic division in Christ. So let's look at the picture that James paints for us in this text. We have um, a group of believers, his readers, that were gathering for their weekly services like this. Let's put ourselves in their shoes. We have a scenario where they had two visitors. Two visitors. The first, a rich man with fancy dress. Fancy pants, golden fingers, golden rings, all of those things. Um, He wasn't just rich, he was obviously rich, okay? That was man number one, man number two. Uh, We have a poor man, not so fancy clothes. In fact, they're tattered, they're shabby, probably smell a little bit funny. He wasn't just a poor man, he was obviously poor. Both of these men walked into their worship service. 
Both of them walked in, and both of them received a very different response and a different experience. For the first man, the obviously rich man, he received a bit of a preferential treatment. The good parking spot, the good seat, they just, they noticed him. And they went out of their way to accommodate him. Out of their way. They wanted to make him feel at home, feel welcomed here, right? It's not a bad thing. They went out of their way to love this man. And just think of what this man could do for the the persecuted church. A wealthy man could go well for us. He has connections. He has resources. This man would be great for our church. Let's treat him well. Let's love him well, right? That was man number one. Man number two had a little bit of a different reaction by this church. Same room. And man number two walks in. The response was, well, wherever we can find him a seat, let's get him there. Maybe if we scoot him to the, you know what, it would be a good idea to keep him away from guest number one so that guest number one doesn't get uncomfortable, but to kind of keep him away. It says they can sit down here at my feet. There's just, there's no honor in, in this whatsoever. Um, this person, the reality is they're probably going to take a lot of our time and resources. Not sure if they're going to further our church. I'm not sure they're going to be great for our budget. I'm not sure I mean, we love them, but that's what was going on here in this church. They received drastically different responses, and what was it based on? The text says it was based on external judgments, right? External judgments. The text said that we have become judges with evil thoughts. Evil thoughts can be translated, evil motives here. Our heart is not good in this, in other words, that we become judges with evil motives. So in light of that example, I want to say something that hopefully is painfully obvious to all of us. You ready? This is not a concert. This is not a sporting event. This is not a consumer experience. Here's what I mean by that. Um, At a concert, a game, anything like that, you expect that the more you pay for your seat, the better experience you're going to have at the game, right? I think of a time uh, Candace and I went to a baseball game in Dallas. We went to see the Rangers, and we found some really cheap tickets. We thought we scored. Turns out there was a reason why these Seats were the way they were, uh, why they were so cheap. We got there, and it was under this awning, and right in front of us was this pillar. And we were right here. Home base was around the pillar right here. So from our seat, it literally, you can't see home plate. It was awesome. More than that, there was a wall behind us, and there was a pole over here, and so there was no wind, none. So we are dying like heat-wise, we can't see the game, but they did something to kind of add insult to injury here. They put a 32-inch flat screen on the, on the pillar. So I'm sitting here, it's like, well, at least I have the game, you know? I'm watching it on TV. Anyway, it was awful. <laughs> but they were $5. Like, my seat was $5. I can't complain very much. At the same time, I was rocking those seats. And Candace and I were sweating it out. At that same time, There was a group of people that were having a very different experience. If I peek around the pole, maybe get up, I see some people sitting right behind home plate, immersed in the game, 
hearing the sounds, smelling the smells, just all there. It's awesome. They had a breeze, I'm sure. At the same time, there were people enjoying press boxes. There were people up in the press box. They were having great air condition, great food. It was awesome. They could see the whole field. And here we were rocking our our seats. But here's the reason, though. I expect that from a game. I expect it. I expect that um, the more you pay for your seat, the more money you have to pay, that what right you have every right to enjoy those things. You have every right to enjoy good food. You have every right to enjoy your good seats. I paid five dollars, and I was rocking five dollars seats, and I'm not upset by that. That is, there is nothing wrong with that. But listen, church, this is not a ballpark, and there is everything wrong with that here. Everything wrong with that here. Um, The church is called to completely shatter this paradigm in this place, completely. Um, The gospel is the great equalizer. The great equalizer, it leaves no room for this kind of favoritism. Now, quickly before we transition, I wanna clear something up. James is not, prompting us, encouraging us to replace our partiality for one group of people and exchange it for another. In other words, James is not saying, you know your hatred you feel toward, toward poor people or the disdain or maybe the disinterest you feel toward poor people. I want you to switch that now, and I don't want you to like rich people. Instead, I want you to love those poor people. He's not saying that. He's not asking us to exchange our prejudices Uh, The true problem was never the amount of wealth that they had in their bank accounts. That was never the true problem. It was the heart of the people who judged them. It was the heart of the people who judged them, led them to uh, partiality and favoritism. Uh, James is addressing a specific people about their sin in their life. This church who was judging people based on their worldly evil, as the text says, thoughts, and judgments. Um, I want to talk about two things first. Uh, I want to address this on two levels. One, I want to address this on a corporate or collective level, us together. And then two, I'd like for us to talk about what that means individually. So let's start with corporately. I want to share an example that honestly breaks my heart. And this is for any of us here in this room who feels like we don't struggle with this anymore. That we don't, we don't make poor people park in the back. We'll give them a front seat. No one wants them anyway. Um, for those of you who think this might not be an issue, I want to share this story. A few years ago, I was uh, working at, it was several years ago, I was working at a church, and uh, we were talking about ways to let our community know that we were there. It's a great conversation to have. Uh, One of the ways that we were talking about doing this is through mailers and also through canvassing. Canvassing means that you literally go and just invite people in uh, the neighborhoods, right? So we were talking about how can we do this? What would it look like if we did this? What neighborhoods? And we were sitting around this table just dreaming about what's our strategy here? And I remember at the table, all of a sudden, I felt this weird feeling in the room like we were not on the same page. And I started to 
wonder why. See, our church, we were in a, a pretty affluent city, but our building had a lot of lower income homes around it. And so when we were talking about reaching the community and letting the community know we're here, typically what that means for churches is you look at the homes, the zip codes around you, and you start there. So we were starting there at the table, and I felt this, what is someone not saying right now? Finally, uh, someone was brave enough to speak up and kind of articulate what was, what was kind of what they were feeling. The statement was this, we don't need to spend more time or money on those neighborhoods closest to the church. I just don't believe we need to do it. Because those people are not going to be able to sustain our church financially to con- for us to continue our ministry. So it's simple ROI, return on investment. Uh, instead, we need to spend our money reaching these people over here because if we get them, then they're going to be able to help us and support us to get all the others. Did you hear the them and others a lot in that, in that statement? Um, did you hear it? The subtle and justified partiality in what just happened there at a table full of people that love Jesus, want to see him made known in their community. You feel it in that, in that moment. This was wise marketing. What this person said was wise. In fact, if we got a consultant to come in who did not know Jesus, never opened a Bible, he would have probably given us this advice. If you want to grow your church numerically as a business financially, then this would be a good move for you. It's sound advice. The problem is, though, is that we have not been called to look like the world in the way the world issues its evil judgments on people, as James would say. Um, There comes a time when we need to realize that what makes sense to the world sometimes doesn't make sense to people who follow Jesus and vice versa. What makes sense to us sometimes will not make sense to the world around us. Church, this is a subtle example, but it is evil. And as James says, we have made distinctions among ourselves and have become judges with evil thoughts or motives. This is partiality, this is favoritism, and this is not the thinking that we've been called to. This is not the thinking we've been called to. Instead, corporately, God's people, all of us, church, we are meant to be catalysts in bringing down these kind of distinctions. Catalysts in bringing down these kinds of distinctions. James says, listen, my brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? In a spiritual sense, has God not chosen the poor as his children? Jesus says in his famous Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And hear me, in God's economy, there are no financial distinctions. In God's economy, there are no financial distinctions. In God's church, there are no distinctions because we are all poor before our rich and gracious God. All of us are on level ground. 
It's not an us and them. It's an all of us on one ground before our loving Father. And by the way, who has called us to, with whatever we have in our hands, to use that for him. It's not an issue of how much we have in our hands. It's an issue of what you do with the resources you have in your hands. And that's what God is calling us to. And the the reality is God doesn't need our cleverly designed marketing campaigns to grow his church. Jesus grows his church. He does. Because there's no distinction. There's one people called to serve Jesus with whatever resources we have to do it with. And so corporately, there is no room in God's economy for favoritism, for partiality. I wanna, I wanna bring this back though. Um, let me just put it like this. Your time at church should be the most unsegregated time of your week. Your time at church should be the most unsegregated time of the week because the gospel is beautifully diverse. And God's people are beautifully diverse. It's one of the things that makes us who we are, that we are diverse and united under Christ, racially, socioeconomically, age, stage, whatever. Diversity. We're not all called to look the same, smell the same, act the same, wear the same thing. We're called to be beautifully diverse because God created us that way. And that is one of the defining marks of the church because we are all poor before God who is rich in his love and his mercy toward us. Let's pull this back. I thought that was clapping. It got me really excited. Um, (laughs) I was not pulling for that. Oh, goodness. Awesome. All right, let's bring this back to an individual level. Thank you, Lemmy, for starting that for me. Let's bring this back to an individual level. Let me ask you a very weird question, and I want you to think about it. Before you gut respond, I want you to think about it in your life. Are you socioeconomically prejudiced? Are you socioeconomically prejudiced? And by that, I mean, do you have cross-socioeconomic relationships? Real relationships, like deep relationships, uh, intimate, not just equations or acquaintances. Do you have people that you are close with that are in a completely different tax bracket than you? Do you? And if not, why? Um, is it because we never cross, cross paths? Is it because you're afraid nothing in common? What is it that has stopped you from developing true, lasting friendships with people that are in a different financial bracket than you. Um, Honestly, I want to ask the question, do you show favoritism in your life? And this is a question you can you can wrestle with, because it's at first I said no to this answer to this question, but as I as I just prayed through this, I just realized there are things I can grow in this. Do, do you show favoritism to those who are either like you or above you on the economic food chain? Do you show favoritism in that way? It's not that you dislike others, but if, you had a, if you're going to lean one way, and as I begin to, to ask that, God started to reveal stuff, and I'm not talking here about benevolence 
or philanthropy or, or making charitable donations. That's not what I'm, what I'm referring to here. Um, last week, we talked about visiting orphans and widows and their affliction. Visiting, you get the sense that we're called to go out, right? We're called to go out to help those who are helpless. This week, though, and all of that is good, and we're called to do that. But this week, though, James is, is talking about something just a little bit different. James is talking here about not those out there, but here. James is talking about fellow brothers and sisters in the community of faith. It's not a go out there and visit them situation. It's a within the family situation. Um, we're not talking about out there, which, by the way, those are good. What we are talking about, though, is honestly doing life together, not based on our commonality, but based on diversity. Um, do you share dinners, share friendships, uh, go to their kids' weddings? Uh, do you go camping together, pray for each other, help each other move? Those kind of things. That's doing life. That's doing life together. Do you have relationships like that? The world has given you a set of yellow lenses to wear. The world has given you a set of yellow lenses to wear. And um, honestly, this, what we're talking about, is something that will be foreign to our culture. It's not gonna, it will be foreign to our culture. This is something that is unique to the church in this. James says, listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom of God, which he's promised to those who love him? Then he, he begins by asking a, a series of rhetorical questions, uh, but you have dishonored the poor man and are not the rich ones, the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court. Again, this is not an attack on rich people. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name? This is not an attack on rich people. This is dealing with a specific, very specific situation within the church where uh, the people of God were facing opposition, being a little bit oppressed by the more affluent and popular culture, and their gut reaction was to show favoritism in order to get in with them. Does that make sense? And so James here is saying, why are your hearts longing to be like that? Why are you trying to appease that crowd? That's not the way God's people think. That's the way the world thinks. Maybe the church was thinking, well, if we could just get them, this oppression, this persecution would maybe lessen. I mean, we have a big hitter in our church now. They're surely not going to oppress us the way they have been when we're nobodies. You can justify this kind of thinking, but James says, no, that is what the world thinks. That is what the world thinks. That is the world's economy, not God's. In God's economy, we are all poor before him. Every one of us, we are poor before him and that we have been given riches through Jesus Christ. In God's economy, we assign significance um, not based on job, status, or clothes, cars, any of the external, as this text says, the gold rings, whatever it may be. We don't assign significance based on that, but upon the riches of Christ, that we're co-heirs, that ours is eternal. Um, in God's economy, true wealth is e internal. 
It's internal, not external. It's not measured by zeros in your bank account, by horsepower in your car, by square footage in your home. It's not based on that. That's not what true wealth is for a follower of Jesus. It's, etern- it's internal. And so the question is, do you see people through the lenses of the gospel? Do you measure people in your life through the, the principles of the world or the principles of God's economy? Um, This morning, as we slowly pull off the yellow sunglasses, my hope is that we begin to see people around us in a new way, that it's not in us, me and them, but it's it's in all of us together and let our eyes adjust to that. And I want to put this on the screen. This is really, if you hear nothing this morning, this is what I want you to, to hear. The reality is that God loves the poor in spirit and that God loves showing off his glory by exalting the humble. God loves showing off his glory by exalting the humble. And we have no greater example of that than Jesus himself. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen to this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If our Savior, our Lord, our King led like that, so should we. So should we. God's economy takes the world's economy and turns it upside down. They are not compatible Have you ever wondered, read the Gospels and and read some of the things Jesus said and you're like, that's opposite? That's because God's economy and the world's economy are not compatible. They turn each other upside down. The simple reality is this. There's no room for partiality or favoritism in the family of God. Instead, this is the beauty of what we get to proclaim together. We stand side by side Brothers and sisters, with no distinctions among ourselves through Christ. That we stand on the same ground, and that ground is one of us being poor in spirit together. There's no wealthier one among us. No, we are in Christ, one people. No distinctions among ourselves. And praise God that God loves showing off his glory by exalting the humble. Let me pray for us. God, there are so many times that we just, your ways are just so far above ours and there are so many times when we just struggle to grab it. But this morning, I pray that it's one of those mornings that God, that you reveal in us ways that you want us to grow ways that you want us to change, ways that you would like to see us be both hearers and doers of your word. God, if there are places in our lives 
if there are attitudes that we have where we have been showing that we are more aligned with the, what the world says in the world's economy than yours, I pray that you convict us of that. I pray that you bring our hearts just to a place of brokenness because of that, and I pray that you begin to allow us to see people the way you see people. And we are all poor before you, a wealthy God of riches, of love, of, of joy, of peace, of wisdom, that in you all things, all riches are. And so God, I pray that in these moments that you just begin to show us your son. And as we look on him, that you give us the ability to look at those around us as he does. In Jesus' name, amen.